I think a lot of artists should do is that when they finish a book and they aspire to do the next book when they're ready, look at the first thing you did, find out what you did that you hated, make that your focus on your next book. So to me was, yeah, thinking about growth and thinking about change. I think that's one way for you to keep striving forward. Hey, uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, yesterday, Molly and I went to go see the new Indiana Jones movie at like a 1045 screening. It was a, a real fun movie. It captured so much of that pure indie magic. I, I thought Harrison Ford was fantastic. And the way they wrapped it all up at the end, just, you know, tears welling in the eyes. It was a, it was a very, very touching and uh, fun time. This whole equilibrium regaining thing has been super helpful um, as I have like what is it, two weeks left of the uh, Clarion West write-a-thon. So if you haven't checked that out, please, uh, there's a link in the description on all my profile pages on social media, on my website. You can find my page there, see what's going on. Um, it's a great organization. If you can, please donate 10 bucks, 20 bucks. It doesn't matter. Um, if you can't, that's fine. It's just nice to have a little bit of a moral support. Yeah. So please check it out if you can. The last few days I've spent writing a detailed outline of, uh, this big, big section of the book. It's this huge complex. I am calling it a train heist in space. I wrote about this with some detail in my newsletter that I historically would have just charged right in typing this away in prose. But since I'm approaching this book slightly different than I did the previous by outlining things, I stopped and said, hey, I have really no clear structure in here. I have an idea and I know what I need to have happen, but I don't know how those are all going to happen together. So I sat down and outlined it and then I re-outlined it. And today I did, I brought it right to the end. I think I'm going to be able to tighten it up tomorrow and then start the actual writing of these chapters, which I'm super, super pumped for. It's, I mean, the outline's exciting. So if I can do the outline half the justice, I think I'll have won. And I'm glad to be able to share this part of the process. Um, You know, I, I kind of feel remiss if I don't bring it up. I typically stay sort of on the sidelines with this junk because it's so transitional, but it happened today, the whole Twitter X thing. And I remember over the weekend, some mention of that there was a change in the air and I couldn't believe a company of this sort of valuation would abandon the equity in their brand. This wholesale throwing out Twitter entirely, changing the name to a letter, it's a ridiculous way to approach your business unless this ownership is trying to shake off everyone they consider a bad actor. I don't know. I have no idea. Um, It's baffling. And uh, I'm going to keep calling it Twitter because... Part of me feels like this is some sort of like stunt. I don't 
want to recognize or acknowledge the stunt and then be a part of it when it happens. And then I feel also that this is some sort of poorly executed version of when Prince changed his name to a symbol. Like, I feel like this is like the lesser version of that. We'll see what happens. You know, I have two more weeks with the write-a-thon. It feels like everybody I interact with has dimmed down the bulb on their time on Twitter, have left Twitter. I've been spending a lot more time on Blue Sky, which seems to be sending out more invite codes to give more people opportunities to come there, which I hope it will become a, a nice open area soon enough for everyone. I don't know. I mean, maybe I will just use Twitter moving forward as a posting for episodes and newsletters and things that I'm putting out, but really I have no equity in it. Um, I don't have a huge following, so it's not that I'm giving a lot up, but I just, I really did like the community there. Uh, this week's guest is Kevin Anthony Catalan. I met Kevin like a lot of the guests recently. Um, Heroes. I think I walked by his booth a bunch of times and I just kept seeing these really cool artwork. I finally went over and talked to him and the nicest guy. And we had a really just great little chat. And, um, and our talk is great. And I really, really hope you enjoy it as much as I did because he's a really, really enthusiastic young guy. You're a young guy, Kevin. So, you know... <laughs> enjoy it. And uh, he is just, you know, rife with a lot of uh, possibility and opportunity. And I really dig his point of view on a lot of things. So I really got a lot of out of our chat. And I hope you do too. So this is me with Kevin Anthony Catalan. What was the thing that made you say I'm going to go out there? The Heroes Con? Yeah. Yeah. So since um, I was in college was 2006. 18 is I think was what I heard about yours con. Okay. Um, that was through the cartoonist kayfabe channel. Oh yeah. Um, right. And how much, how much they built it up. I'm like, this is the best comic show. Cause <laughs> I've been to, you know, small comic shows here. I live in the Bay area. Yeah. And so, and like San Francisco, there's not much focus on comics. I, I would say before it was the ape show. It was the mm-hmm. alternative press uh, thing, but that died out. I think I, they had their last show, but I never went to that last show. I didn't know that was the last show. Right. So, you know, that was that. And there were, there's also the Zine Fest, but it's, it's like a free event, so it doesn't really has the same feeling as a convention if I were to table with an artist, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so you know, I went to San Francisco, San Francisco Con as a guest, and it's still that kind of ran by movies or shows, you know, toys. Yeah. And then Heroes Con is built up in my head as this this is a focused on art and artists and comics, you know, mm-hmm. and that's been my big biggest dream to go to and I didn't even know I was going to go there just soon um because I recently got published by my friend uh, Eli he does Cosmic Line Productions for my book Space Nights and we we tabled together first time at LACon back in December last year okay and he I we casually mentioned to him that oh um Heroes Con is one of the best shows that we should probably aim to towards maybe like two years from now or whatever because you know, it's a, it's a right. whole trip to the other side of the thing and then he just randomly messaged me back again no not back back but he randomly messaged me around march and he said i got the tickets like what tickets uh tables i got a tables like what do you mean <laughs> we're going to heroes con I was like oh 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 wow this is happening so 
we just we just did it and he paid for my table we tabled together too and so he you know now from then on i was like i had to focus on getting you know enough money to pay for the trip mm-hmm. uh, like you know the hotel or the um food whatever but that was that you know that that's what made me really captivated with the show is that it's made for artists you know you're there to meet artists and yeah. i think too what's nice about HeroesCon from my actual experience of it is how much you can do after the, the convention sure you know you know like the hanging out the at the hotel bar and then just randomly meeting whoever's there mm-hmm. like we were we, I, I got to talk to Steve Olaf a couple of times. Oh, cool. I went, yeah, I went to actually the first night. It was a Thursday night. I went to bed early because I was really tired. <laughs> yeah. And sure. when, I, when I went to bed early, my friends, Steve Olaf just approached him on the table. So like, I just missed him, but <laughs> I got to drink with him again. But that, you know, that's a cool experience that you can have. And also the auction, mm-hmm. you can drink stuff. Um, the drink and draw me. Sorry. You know, that, that, that thing that was really cool about heroes, but. And I'd love to go back again next year. I think we're yeah. really aiming to go that. So, well, you know, it's it's really it's it's great to hear you say these things, and and I kind of think about like, oh yeah, I think one of the major elements, even though there's a ton of creators there, the footprint isn't big. It's not like you're slapped into San Diego or New York City mm-hmm. or a, a larger city where I think everyone feels very spread out. And in this case, like it's very much like centered around this hotel. And in yeah. this convention center and you can go off and have dinner with your friends and, you know, or people you just met and have a great time, but it's just kind of like, like, I, I think I called it like summer, you know, summer camp for comic book people, you know, you get yeah, to have a real much. nice little kind of close, close hangout, you know, and then, you know, meet the cool kids who were, you know, you know, cool last year at summer camp and then they're cool again mm-hmm. this year. So, um, yeah, and I figured, yeah, the Steve Olaf things are real. That's a, that's interesting you say that because I mean, with the color work you do, I could see how you could be pretty jazz. Yeah, funny enough, because like my first actual introduction to comics was the Kira book that he did with the colors. Oh, yeah, the epic sure. Comics. So that was really like a treat. I didn't I actually didn't even know he was going to show up for Heroes. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's not one of those guys I was looking forward to seeing because I had no idea he was going to be there. Right. I was just looking forward to, you know, the typical Felix guys like Daniel Warren Johnson and mm-hmm. so on. Right. But when I heard Steve Olaf was there, when I went to bed, that was, I was like, man, he's here. I hope I get to chat with him. And then I did. And it's what's it cool about talking to him too, is because he is from the Bay Area too. Oh, he's okay. Like, he actually, he lived where I went to college to San Francisco and okay. that area. So we just chatted about that. So that's, I think what's cool about talking to, you know, talking about the cool kids, whoever, you know, maybe even legends like in the comic mm-hmm. industry where you built them up so much in your head as a, someone that you see on the internet or someone you read up. But when you meet them in person, it really humanizes them. You just chat with them as a regular person, you know? Yeah. And coming to me as a young guy, I, I still have that facade of like who these people are and, you know, put them in a pedestal. But when I go there, not saying that I, don't, I bring them down, but I, I start to bring myself up, you know? Yeah, kind of like, sure. Oh, it's just another artist I can talk to. It, it, totally. Yeah. I mean, and it's really interesting, like, especially in the comic industry, like, I mean, they're just, everyone's a fan of comic books. So yeah. you, you realize, oh, like these editors who are in charge of the comic, you know, properties that we, you know, know and love, but they're, they're just big old fans of comic books. And it's exactly. like, it's this kind of interesting, you know, veil that gets lifted and you can go, oh, okay. Like they're just me. They just came in at a different angle and they're doing mm-hmm. a different thing. 
and uh, or they've been doing it for a lot longer in exactly. these case you know but it, there's in the end of it all there's still pretty much nerds or geeks you know, at yeah. the same time like me and like steve were just talking about color processes and whatever he came up with at that time when digital coloring wasn't you know as popular now you, mm-hmm. you had to do something you know and that was just interesting to hear but seeing it a more artistic point of view rather than a fan mm-hmm. i mean i'm still a fan but breaking it down to where oh there's you know there's value to meeting these people not just because you're a fan of their work but also you want to know how they solve things as artists yeah. you know you talk to them as artists because they're problem solvers and they're creative you know instead of just coming up to them as like oh my god I, I, you're a legend whatever you come up to them as a colleague in a way sure yeah. <laughs> yeah. like hey how did you do this because i because yeah. like we look at like i mean i still do to this day like if i see something that i dig my mind starts stripping it apart going okay how did mm-hmm. they get this done like how did they get from the blank thing to this amazing finished piece and so it's that forensic sort of approach to it and then when you have the original you know creator of it you can really yeah. get all the answers exactly that's why i read comics so slow because i read it in that forensic point of view yeah my girlfriend would tell me why are you on this page for too long i'm like right i gotta see the it's it's visual you gotta see deeper into it and you know most people that most comic readers just read a panel for one second or even less you know for yeah. me i would stay at least five seconds the like the least if it's mm. like fast but if i i would stay on a page as long as 10 minutes if i have to you know <laughs> oh, man i can i mean i can yeah. remember just pouring over and over and over through the books that i just you know loved mm-hmm. you know when i was young just spending that you know hour or two just looking at every single bit of detail that was in that page exactly. it's um yeah it's cool i mean it, it is so funny how quickly all that amazing amount of effort that you know the artists put into the pages which is glossed over at such a high rate as people just read the words because they're just they want to exactly. consume the story because if the story is exciting they're just blitzing through it because they want to get to the end because it's fun um but that art thing you know if you if you do get distracted by it it just takes over exactly i think what i what i think about that too because i i studied um fine art in college i didn't Mm -hmm. study comics i mean there was a comics program i didn't really finish it but my actual major was just fine art and i was trained in this gallery centric in a way of making art where you make to me, you were supposed to make one piece or a collection of pieces to be put up on walls. Yep. And those pieces are looked at, you know, deeply for how long you want it to be. But in comics, you have hundreds of hundreds of images, but they're looked at for a second, yeah. you know, but they don't get the same treatment for some reason. And so that was very interesting to me when I was in college going through that. And so I, I started seeing, you know, when you go look at, at heroes, you see a lot of original art. Mm-hmm. Those original art is being seen as the way gallery art is being seen. So you have yeah. to actually, for some reason, you have to make it to an individual piece to be, to have it, you know, respected that same way rather than mm-hmm. this in a book where you just turn the pages fast. That's always been interesting to me. And I think like you said, like this is a, this is a group of people, you know, of all these different creators. So all, you know, by and large, they're all, you know, such deep lovers of the medium that we're all kind of looking at it in that same respect. Yeah, exactly. Huh? Yeah. No, I think it's a, I know it's cool. I mean, it, I mean, 
you know, I, I'm, I'm sure everybody who is listening to these most recent episodes, and I apologize that there's so much discussion about HeroesCon, but it is really quite a unique specimen in the business. And, uh, you know, if you do love comics, if you make comics, and if you can get the chance and the opportunity to go to table to however it is that you can do it, it's a worth the trip because it, it is really kind of a mecca of like passion for the creation of comic books. It is. And you, you talked about how earlier, you know, you, you analyze the book so much and then you have so many questions. Here's con most creators are there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're in, you, you're not just going to meet, you know, for usual conventions, you meet like five to maybe 10 the most, right? Yeah. San Diego, of course you'll meet a lot more. This is a much bigger event. But your local cons, you probably just get like three big comic artists. Heroes yeah. Con, you have a whole like 80% artist alley of yeah. whoever, you know, you don't even have time to meet all of them. No, you, you don't. Yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is, is the lines, they're not insane. I mean, there, there are some mm-hmm. long ones. I mean, you get a, you get mm-hmm. an Alan Davis, you're going to get a line, you know. Um, yeah. But like, you don't have to wait too long to hang out and talk to Daniel Warren Johnson. You know, he's, he's got a crowd, but it's not like, it's not this line that goes down the road, which can happen if, you know, there are other creators, but they keep them sort of moved off to the side at heroes to demand, manage those big lines. Like Chris Claremont Mm -hmm. is going to draw a crowd. He always does. definitely, And rightfully so. Um, so you said Akira and I could totally see that in your, in your work. Um, I can see that sort of that big, <laughs> expansive kind of desire to show bigness and, you know, and, and, and detritus, you know, like those are the kind yeah. of things that I think of when I think of Atomo's work in, in Akira. So um, was that one of the first sort of big things that kind of left a mark in your mind? I mean, definitely. Like I said, that was the first comic that I read, not even read, just seen because I didn't really read it because my dad, he's an animator. So I emulated animation first and I want to be an animator like my dad. Hmm. And, but I saw that I wanted to tell stories. So he said, you're going to take so long to create a scene by doing frame <laughs> by frame. So he just, whatever was on a shelf, he just grabbed it off. And it was Akira. And it was the, the third volume of the colored edition. Okay. And it was the first scene was Tetsuo blowing up one of the clown gang's head with a, like a, a nut. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah. You know, so that gory, I was like, I don't know, seven, <laughs> probably right. eight years old. I was so young and, to me, that was just so visceral and just like you can like, oh, wait, not only can you tell a story just by panel by panel, but you can do something that to me, comics was always been like newspapers, you know, like mm-hmm. gags or whatever at that time. But this was something that's a narrative. This is something that's serious. And that made it such an impact to me to where also it's gory. <laughs> so that was something yeah. that really stuck in my mind. And later on, you know, I didn't really read Akira again until I was in high school a bit i watched more of the movie until because okay. uh, i had a hard time reading growing up uh, okay. but i like looking at pictures but not until high school when i started really focusing on collecting comics and then i read a bit of akira in high school then college is when i really focused on it more because i was really focused on career on art and that's when i really felt the the you know the way he built that world through it just looks lived in Mm-hmm. You know, you, you think about backgrounds. So one of the most famous things about Kira is not just his characters, but it's Tokyo in that future. You know, the yeah. cyberpunk kind of look, um, but it's pen and ink. You know, that's, yeah. that's what's amazing about it. It's just lines and you, know, you have debris everywhere and you have graffiti everywhere. So you, you think about the smallest things and you think about how I think it's one of the 
the times where I really thought about the artist being its own, you know, a movie production. When you think mm. about people having their own jobs, right? When you have a character designer, you have concept artists for backgrounds, you have costume designers, you have actors, right? But when you're an artist that doing and writer doing all the stuff, you have to do all those jobs for your world. Mm-hmm. You know, you're making the set design, you're making the costume design for your characters, but you're one dude. really truly (laughs) yeah yeah so that's one of the things that really captivated me about akira but also beyond that movies has also been a big inspiration to me and so i put that a lot in my work like i said you know i really like the scale not just the scale of drawing but the scale of how deep you know world building goes right yeah even through just visuals because you get a lot when you listen to a lot of fantasy stories there's a lot of exposition of the oh this guy did this guy you know this he's a father of this guy but for me i like to show the weight of the world how old this world is by just showing you so visual mm-hmm. i guess exposition in a way i don't know yeah well i mean it, it is you know that that thousand words factor i mean if you if yeah. you put a lot in there the the thousand words becomes more words because you're sort of answering questions about the world like and then you're raising questions like, well, how did it get this way? Like, why is this mm-hmm. there? So that you have the opportunity to kind of really build this out rather than just some sort of aesthetically clean world and which can raise questions in its own right, but exactly maybe less often than it would be for something, you know, lived in. And like mm-hmm. you think about, you know, when you said that, like it made me think like, well, that was the big sea change when Star Wars came out. It was a lived in world. Yeah. So in 1977, Science fiction up to that point had been very shiny and polished. And then yeah. this shows up and everything's dingy, dented, and, you know, half falling apart. And it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, that's a world that I can understand, mm-hmm. but they're flying around and floating and doing all this stuff. So that was a kind of a cool evolution. And then you may, then it made me think of like that value of detail that you know, artists will impart into their story. So, like a Jeff Darrow, yeah. and even, even how Frank Miller made like, his world's very dirty and beat up like that kind of stuff I think is, is very important, you know, maybe something that like, you know, creators should like pay a lot of attention to like that production design, like what is that world and how does that, how does that feel, you know, Blade Runner, for example, exactly. Like, like, is there a movie with more feel, you know, for production than Blade Runner? Like, it's just, it's a world Mm -hmm. immediately. I was watching, behind the scenes of the first Blade Runner movie and how they were making those neon lights. They're all made by hand. And, you know, they, you, like you said, you don't see these signs as, you know, in detail, but the people that work, did work on them put detail, like you will see them for like 10 minutes, however long you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I took that as, you know, talking about how looking at panels long, like for me longer than I, I should, it's just, it's that, kind of respect to that to where the artists took their time to de- make this detail in the world make this um lived in to where i should give it the you know i should give it a look deeper you know, longer than it should mm-hmm. so i that's how i approach my work too to where you know you can just read the comic and you'll get the story but then if you want to really know the world it's kind of like when you walk around you know if you go to a new place like let's say you walked into a historic place you're not just going to read whatever is on the plaque you want to look around you want to see oh that's that rock was that old structure there and there's no information mm-hmm. about the structure but it makes you discover things this is kind of the way i want to do my backgrounds in my story there's those little signs there's little um 
graffiti they have little messages there that tells you about the world and you know I don't know, that 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 captivates me as a creator and also creative worlds right yeah well you also you put a lot of your your fake ads throughout your books yeah. <laughs> you know and i think like that's kind of another way to do that you're you're able to kind of expand the narrative from a different point of view and a different angle for the reader to go oh okay like okay now i know who the i knew now i know who like the silver knights are yeah like you exactly. don't have to like you don't have to spend the time doing that exposition within the story you've now made a funny and an interesting way of communicating that to the reader it is i think i've always i grew up a lot with tv and mm-hmm. seeing ads is just as normal to yeah. you know, all of us that grew up with tv and now even though with phones now it's more targeted to us but when you just watch it on TV, it's whoever is watching is going to w- watch whatever ad, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but that's the normal of that local area or that country. Because I've noticed, I, I used to live in the Philippines. Our ads there are so hyper-focused on beauty, like hair products, skin products. When I go to the United States, it's so focused on pharmaceuticals. <laughs> you know? So you get to see what the, the kind of the climate of that country is. Yeah, sure. Ads. And so that was my way of really breaking it down to where, oh, I can really show the, what the world is by what's showing what's normal to them. Mm-hmm. by just showing you ads, you know, and comics have always been known to have ads between like store, like either in the middle of the book or between stories, if it has multiple things in there and, you know, ad breaks and cartoons, uh, like I grew up with Cartoon Network in the 2000s. So like Dexter would have three stories in there per episode and each one of them has an ad break. They're meant mm-hmm. to be that way. And so that's kind of how the inspiration I took from that. But I think, like I said, it's a more fun way to show exposition and show more of the world building instead of just giving you words, words. But this is, sure. you know, it takes graphic design to make ads too. And, and I, those ads I did for the first book, they're all painted. And I, I took yeah. them to where it's like 1950s, um, you know, Americana kind of paintings of magazines. That mm-hmm. was the thing I was going for because I love like pulp covers back then. So I was kind of emulating that too. And yeah, and it makes people just want to read more into your world instead of making them feel like, oh, I have to read all of this bunch of stuff to the world to understand it. But more like, oh, that's so weird and funny that you have this like detail about, you know, knights and giants and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's it's added value. You know, you're giving you're giving that you're giving this basic composition and you're playing on it. And so the reader is going to go, oh, I like I like this kind of lighthearted approach to it. So I'm going to I'm going to I'm I'm going to invest my time in reading this long body copy because mm-hmm. it's it, it's you know because the ad is paid off in an unexpected fashion so you kind of you yeah. get a free, you get a pass so people will dive exactly. in and I think really what's super interesting you know this is a very meta you know aspect or concept here but you're doing the ads as if they were ads in comic books but the story, but the ads are for the world of this future science fiction world. So there would not be a printed, you know, comic book with a, a cutout coupon most likely in this timeline, <laughs> but it's, but since you've constructed it within this framework of a comic book, the buy-ins there were like, yeah, yeah, this is an ad in a comic. So it's this really kind of funky play between reality mm-hmm. and, you know, and non-reality. I think, when I first did it, one of my um, my goals to have a the actual book is to make it to an actual uh, 
kind of an artifact, you know, a thing. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've imagined in my head when I didn't even work, work on the book yet, but the way I was designing it, because I designed books as a whole thing before I actually start drawing the whole thing. You know, I do outlines of what I might go for it. So my, my idea is like, what if some guy, some astronaut in space just finds his book floating mm-hmm. randomly and he picks it up. That's what Space Knights is. It's just, you see it and you get to see that world and you see, that's why there's ads. You get to, you know, you get to just experience it. And I don't know, that's, I think a really good way of me getting really hyped up about making it is that I can also give like when you, you have a reader, when you're talking about looking at those ads, I like to reward them for trying, mm-hmm. you know, like, Oh, I'm going to read this. There's going to be a reward in the end that you're going to discover something. There's going to be something fun about it. And so, because like I said, I had a hard time reading growing up. And so I want to have a reason to why I want to read it. Right. Yeah. So I'm a very visual person. I think that's why ads too is something that I think I've come to realize that why I push so much of it in my, in my work. Mm-hmm. Do you know what was your hardship for reading? I think it's because it's so closely related to academia to me when I was growing up. Cause I had a hard time just um, being in school because um, of authority figures. Cause in the Philippines, they're very like strict on school. They, they actually beat you if you don't do well, okay. that kind of thing, you know? So I just, I was rebellious. I just hated it, you know? And so reading to me, instead of like reading for fun, it's reading for class. Mm. So I'm reading for class. I'm reading for the teacher. And so, you know, and it's it's not what I wanted. And so I wouldn't do that. And the only thing, funny enough, the only thing I did actually read and enjoyed reading was an encyclopedia that I found on my, like my grandma's like bookshelf it was like three thousand pages long it was like this thick book but i enjoyed reading facts just like yeah. reading yeah but there's pictures there's like oh there's mm-hmm. a cheetah right there and you read the thing about cheetah and so i think that dynamic between text and image was already coming to me from an early age even okay. though i wasn't really into comics yet so but that was through an encyclopedia yeah. Which is kind of funny. No, that yeah. I mean, I, I can identify with that. I mean, I, I I had a I had a set of encyclopedias as a kid that my parents bought when I was really little, and it was always just in my room. But I would always be pull I would always pull it out and look up stuff and mm-hmm. find things because it was super interesting. I didn't like reading. I, I think I chalked that more up to being uh, more ADHD spectrum side of things where I just couldn't settle down to sit and read something that the payoff wasn't immediate. And it was very hard for yeah. me to kind of dig in. I think I, I was the same thing too. Yeah. With the same thing. I think because by the time of like middle school, I was starting to read novels for school and I was enjoying it. I was enjoying it half, halfway at the book, but not the beginning. Like you mm. said, you know, it takes the time to get the reward. But yeah. what you're saying about comic books, sorry, I didn't mean to. Well, no, because I think comic books are that immediate payoff, especially if you like artwork, you know, so you immediately go like, Ooh, that's exciting. And then you're encouraged to, because I mean, I've, and I've said it many times is that, you know, I, I read the comic book first without probably even reading the words. I would just went through it, looking at the pictures and then I would go, Oh, I wonder what all this was really about. And then I would read it again with the words and kind of discover this whole new world of the story. And then I would obsess over the artwork mostly. Yeah. And you know, when we buy comic books um, in shops, you don't read the first pages like you would or read the back mm-hmm. of the book. 
but you wouldn't actually want to open it and look at the image inside. Make sure the cover art matches the art inside. That's always the thing for me too. Enough. Yeah, you know? oh. yeah, cool. that kind of thing. You know, that's so. That's how you sell a comic to us, not because of the words, because the comics are very, very visual thing. As much as like you know, writers are very involved in this world, it is a very visual medium, an artist medium. So yeah, yeah, it, it totally is, and it's you know. You know, I mean, listen, I, I spend all my time writing, so I, I you know, I, I but I, I completely champion the effort, you know, for the art because it really takes so much time and energy from the people making the visual aspects that, you know, I just don't, you know, I want that to always be sort of like held up high. And I think, you know, places like Heroes does that, you know, very mm-hmm. well. So, um, you know, you know, writers are awesome, but, you know, let's remember artists are awesome too. Yeah. Like, I'm a writer too with my, my own well, stuff. Well, yeah, you write your both. own. Yeah. And the, the thing is, you know, I'm an artist first with my work. So writing is kind of the hardest part of my, my, my task. Totally. Good. Um, so let's talk about world building, the writing part. That's where it all is. Like, it's fun to draw things as an artist for world building. But when you're writing stuff, you have to make sure it makes sense. <laughs> and, that, and two. And so, you know, I think having, when you get the best duo for comics, you just make something amazing also, or just the best artist writer. Mm-hmm. You know, you get stuff like that, like Mobius, you know, yeah, that work that he makes is just amazing to where this is something that one guy made and makes mm-hmm. you even more, you know, aspire to be that. And so, you know, I'm not saying that this is not a writer medium as well, but definitely the weight is a lot more in the shoulders of the artist. That's why I hear writers say, Oh, I'm going to make a scene where there's a thousand people in this image with an <laughs> army. And like, that's fun to write. But then the artist gets the script and are like, what you want me to draw? <laughs> oh, it's, yeah. I mean, oh man. Like, so like, I don't, I don't know if you know Mark Lamming, but he's a comic book artist and he's great and he's phenomenal. And he's been working on this project for a long time, but page after page, he'll put up like the pencils or the inks of what he's working on. And Kevin, man, it's like, so many figures like the the writer who is phenomenal and he's a great person and i and i love him to death and i love his work but i'm like oh man i would be so frustrated with the amount of volume of (laughs) figures he has to draw and it's not like it's not like tiny little figures in the distance this is like crowds of people in a spaceship you know so it's it's like really a lot of a lot of bodies and i go oh my goodness so i Yeah. yeah i mean yes i mean as a, as an artist, you know, who receives scripts and those pages, which had lots of characters, you would just grit your teeth going, you know, God, all right. That's the funny thing about it too, because like I said, I write my own stuff. So I come to realize when I write, I'm a different person, mm-hmm. entirely different guy. And I'm very, like, just, I'm just going to draw whatever like, in my mind. I'm very like, ambitious when I'm writing. I'm, I'm going to do this really cool perspective shot with a bunch of people. And then when they get, when I read my script again as an artist, you know, I'm getting ready to draw it. I'm like, I tell myself, why do you want me, why do you want to draw this? Yeah. What was going on in your head that you have to figure this out now? Now, you know, instead of taking two days, you can take about a week and, and I hate myself. I hate my yeah. past self for that. And so it's kind of a funny system, but also it makes me think about, you know, how a lot of, I would say, I've, cause I've received some scripts from random writers that want their comic be made, but it's <laughs> usually that screenwriting like route to get, 
to make get it to made to a movie or something because they've always thought of it as the cheapest way as the budget way to make a story Mm -hmm. but then you think about that thing where an artist has to draw hundreds of thousands of people that's the budget of the comic the physical budget right you have the the creative budget which is infinite as much as you want but the artist has to be physically doing stuff drawing is a physical task Mm -hmm. your hand can cramp up you know you can get tired so however the mileage that the artist can do that's your budget yeah so I think that's something I've always thought about now when I work with people. Make sure I tell them like, yeah. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, when, when I was in art school, like the, the, the thing I kept hearing, you know, from these teachers early on were saying, you know, the painting teacher would be like, take more drawing classes, you know, and the drawing teacher would say, take more painting classes. And they were, they understood that the more you did the other thing, the better you'd be at the thing that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And so I've always adopted that kind of, that philosophy you know, getting to talk to so many, you know, great creators, you know, I'll challenge, you know, an artist who hasn't written yet, but you could see that there's a story in them talking to them, you know, you go, Oh my gosh, you totally have a story you want to tell. And I'm mm-hmm. like, write that story. And they go like, ah, they, they start freaking out because they've never like thought about putting words on paper because it's alien compared to just drawing the images. And, you know, so, and then I say to writers, well, like someone like yourself, like, I would say write a story for somebody else because it'll challenge you as a writer for yourself. How do you communicate that story concisely and clearly? Exactly. It's like I have written just scripts for myself. I've never written anything for anyone else. And I think that's one of my goals too, actually for my book space dance, because the way it's set up, it's that there's multiple stories in one book. So if I want to bring another artist in, like my friend, I'll write Mm -hmm. for him. And then he just does the art for that right. story. It's kind of like the Mignola route in a way, you know, because the way Mignola, I've read in the the library editions of the, I forgot the editor, but he wrote about how he felt writing the first first issue, the first story. He had, um, was it Walt John, Simons? It was John Byrne. John, no, John no, 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 John, John, John Byrne, sorry. Yeah. I always get them confused for some it's reason. Okay. But John Byrne, yeah, John Byrne did the script first because he wasn't comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know? But now Mignola's writing scripts for it any artist that does all the, yeah. you know, the anthology stuff. Well, so. Yeah. Mike was not comfortable with it. And then after that first issue, John said like, you've got this, like, don't like, mm-hmm. you don't need me. And like, that was like, that was such a, that was such a gift. If you think about it, yeah. because you know, had he stuck around longer, I mean, then he would be the co-creator of Hellboy and to some degree, exactly. because that's what the, that's how the law works. So, um, and a super big gift and, you know, and we're, we're better off for it because Mike's voice is so unique and magical. It is, it is. And, you know, with Hellboy, I wouldn't say you read it for the writing as much too. I mean, I'm not saying Hellboy is a bad book to read. It's an amazing book to read, but you really read it for his art. You know, his art carries it, but of course his writing just elevates it more. You know, I say, so I'd say I'm gonna I'm gonna modify your answer. All right, I'm sorry, being, I'm, gonna, a better I'm way. gonna be rude. And I'm gonna modify your answer here. Do it, do it, do it. You read it for the story. Yeah, because his artwork is like storytelling. You know, like a story. There you go. And and he's not heavy with his dialogue. So that Spartan artwork with the Spartan language combined together create this, but it creates the riches of stories, which is doesn't make sense, like scientifically but it works mm-hmm. like magic. So it does. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't I it? think too, 
with the the thing I got about Mignola from my work is Mignola, you know, he's also one of my biggest inspiration. You can clearly see that in the first issue of Space Knights where I've started out kind of emulating the way he designed pages. Um, mm. That's the thing is design in my yeah. head. Um, when you do compositions for comics, most people, I got to like a loop to where I kept designing pages based on panel by panel. And mm-hmm. I started forgetting about designing pages as a page. Right, There's one full image that has panel that happens to have borders, and so I that's something that Mignola does with his comics is that the whole image works as itself, but then as the panels too work themselves individually, you know. But sometimes spreads work together to make this one big image, oh. you know, not as a not as a splash page, but like as a design for panels, you know. Yeah, that's something that I've always tried to get more. I think it's more illustrative approach to comics, you know, when you're really thinking about. Like I know, I know some artists that draw thumbnails as a spread instead of just image by image, mm-hmm. you know, because that makes him see. Because when you see a book, you see two images right away. Right, you read it as that. You don't read just one image to the left, and you avoid the right one. So you know, you kind of play on with the reader, what the reader sees. So that's kind of how I've been thinking about making my comics. Probably that's why I draw a lot of uh, spreads too, like slash yeah. uh, spreads. Yeah, you do. You got yeah. a lot in there. You have a lot in yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah, and I do. I think I'm obsessed with it too because I love big images, um, and I just yeah, I just love when people look at things, you know. So moving right. On page. On a side note, because you get them confused, and you're it reminded me, and your artwork has that sort of ambitious world of of volume in it. Um, if you aren't already looking at a lot of Walter Simonson, definitely look at Walt Simonson's work. Yeah, because I, you know. I don't think there really is an artist who can create a larger sense of space on a comic book panel than him. Like he can, like he can make it seem like there's you're in this gigantic volume just in a one frame. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's his ability to control scale is it's unprecedented. That's the thing about me with discovering, um, you know, because I'm still young. I'm still like learning who was who before, Mm-hmm. trying to see what what because like i'm emulating a lot of artists that are modern cartoonists you know like james heron and da- daniel warren johnson whoever but then i start looking at their influences you know and but of course i've just discovered mignola by myself and mobius but i start to see who who else was around that time you know who were the big leagues at that time so walt simonson was something that i started looking into i think the earlier this year okay and but that was only through his new book, Ragnarok. So not even Thor or anything. It was just right. his new yeah. book. That, his work now. And I started also looking to Art Adams' his work because his oh, commissions sure. have been just popping up so much. And so that's something that I'm going to look I'm looking into now. And just, yeah, it, it has been kind of hard because I didn't have anyone to really show me around the, the comic, you know, what comics to read, what mm-hmm. comic artists to look at. It's mostly just me just looking or finding things by chance. Yeah, like I said in social media and Instagram, you just people just pop up or people just share things, and you're like, "Oh, I like that guy." <laughs> right. where, his work, where did this you know? come from? Yeah, yeah. So that kind of thing. Also, I'm on Pinterest a lot. I think any artist that's not using Pinterest should use Pinterest because it's a great like place to where you get a lot of um, references, and mm-hmm. also just to get some visuals in your head to what the world. You know, like I said, world building. You're gonna have some like you gotta look up. Uh, like cities, you gotta look up castles or whatever that helps you inspire. And Pinterest, oh, okay. it's a great place for that. But also, art. There's a lot of art there. 
Um, I think I work with some writers now with some stuff that I can't really talk about for a while now, but we have Pinterest boards together to where mm-hmm. this is what their vision is. It's kind of like what it looks like. So just use this. And he gives me a big board of just references. And so that's something that's been helping me a lot to discover artists and certain aesthetics and certain movement of art back then that could help me create worlds now. I like, I like that approach. I think that it is often hard for writers to communicate, you know, what they want because otherwise they're saying they're just writing a ton of stuff, you know, and nobody wants to sit and read three pages of, you know, information about page one. Like you, you, so, you know, stealing the, you know, a thousand words metaphor again, like to be able to go, okay, cool. Let's just put this right out here. Here's the Pinterest board. Here's a whole bunch of reference. Like swipe is important, man. You, you gathering swipe for all the things you are, whatever you're designing or creating. It's super important because it just, it It moves, it moves that ball way down the field. You don't have to, you don't have to work so hard. Cause the artists are very visual people. (laughs) You get, you know, I don't think most, yeah. I don't think most artists wants to read a big, big paragraph about what you want them to draw. Mm -hmm rather just show them something that what you're thinking about and then you know if you're an artist that aspire to be an individual you don't want to do what they're showing you want to do what's something that with your own flair you know so even just sharing references you shouldn't be afraid of saying oh the artist might just copy this you know, that's yeah. i've heard people say that like don't copy it i want you to <laughs> just use it as reference like no, no don't worry i won't <laughs> you're hiring yeah. me for this one reason so that's also something that i think artists like writers are also afraid of sharing images too you know yeah, maybe maybe they don't want to they don't want to because I mean, you know, hopefully they're fans of the work of the person who's, you mm-hmm. know, creating the visuals for the book and they don't want to sort of lead the audience too much because they want to see what you come up with. But I think, you know, I think most people are sophisticated enough to understand like <laughs> cool like this is this you know, we're not going to I'm not going to draw the enterprise here, but you want a spaceship that, you know, kind of has mm-hmm. this idea of external engines. Okay, cool. We, we, I can do that. You know, <laughs> like exactly. It, it's fine. Um, so let me, so, I mean, you're, you're writing and drawing your, your story and that's a, you know, that's an ambitious undertaking, you know, like if you're just ostensibly looking at like the workload to do and when you sort of said to yourself, Hey, I want to make comics was the vision always writing and drawing your own stuff or was there an idea of like, I'd like to draw comic books of these characters for this company because I love those characters. It's always, yeah, it's always been that where I wanted to do my own thing. Okay. <laughs> I never like, cause I think as a kid, I didn't like fan art as much like doing fan art. And I didn't like, I didn't like drawing people's characters. Mm-hmm. Um, I found it boring to where I'm just drawing something that exists you know, mm-hmm. um, I think it, that came from actually when I would play with toys as a kid, I play with action figures and I would have, you know, some X-Men characters some Batman, but I never played them as a Wolverine or as Batman. Okay. I played them as my own character in my head. Their names are different. They just happen to have the design closer to Batman. It is Batman. Sure. So Batman's like, uh, you know, ears would be something that he used to ram people with, but that was something that I used the toys with. So mm-hmm. that. I think that was the, the, the first, you know, sign that I didn't want to do people's work. I wanted to do my own thing. So when I took the undertaking of making a comic, I really just wanted to do my stuff and just make my own world. 
And but I do, of course, use existing things to inspire me. Um, mm-hmm. Very early in the age, um, like I said, movies was a big thing. Was Lord of the Rings, you know, very fantasy cool. things. So this uh, Space Knights was actually supposed to be a fantasy comic, but I still get that people kept saying. Oh, it's like Lord of the Rings. And so I, I just hated that. It ate me up so much. I'm like, it's not. It's like, it's just a, it's just fantasy. It just happens to have elves and men, but it's not Lord of the Rings. And so I actually put this story in a back burner. I just didn't uh, think about it for a while until later on in college where I started getting into 1950s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. And I was just, I thought about, and then I made, I made that space and that story a short for class in college and I already had this world building set up from a fantasy story. And so I just translated that in space mm-hmm. and I just started drawing designs of what nights would look like in space. And I just, I made it to where it's simple to just have oxygen tubes yep. on their helmets. I was like, that's, that's all I need. And then from then on, I just kind of add some techie things, but medieval designs, but yeah, that's always been my thing where I wanted to explore my own way, make my own things. And I know, of course I don't knock down working with people's you know, stuff. And I do that, do do that now. That's mm-hmm. why I do a lot of commissions because I, now I enjoy working on, you know, kind of um, existing create uh, creations because I think I found my own voice of drawing. Before yeah. I didn't, I was kind of just copying artists. Now mm-hmm. I kind of have my own way, but now I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm able to draw fan art. I'm able to draw people's commissions, whatever they want. I totally, I know. I totally get that. I I can, I I can see where that could come from, where the fear inside your inside of if I do drawings of, you know, using Batman as an example, Mm -hmm. a, it's not probably never going to look at like the way that I love my favorite Batman drawing. So I'm going to be anxious about that to begin with. And then this whole sort of thing, like, is that informing how I want things to look? Because like you can't, you can you can't control that as much as you can control what your creation looks like from scratch. Mm-hmm. So I I could see that that sort of that early you know resistance like how that that could that could easily be formed, and then like the luxury of having your thing done or underway, and then going all right cool like it's not going to ruin me now like I can draw a Batman yeah. now and it'll be okay because I found yeah. Like a, yeah, I like how you said you exactly. had your voice. Yeah, I think I waited till then. And the thing is, the way, you know, as much as I was very inspired by a lot of artists, the way I was trained is I just learned from anatomy artists. Like, uh, mm-hmm. what was the first one? Was Hogarth. Her, Bern- yeah, Hogarth. Bern- Hogarth. Yeah, Bern- Hogarth was the one I learned from my dad because he just gave me a Bern- Hogarth book. <laughs> and then I learned from Bridges. Bridgman. name. Jeff Bridgman. It's Jeff, I was gonna say Jeff. George, I was gonna say George. Jeff Bridges. No, well, I mean, if you, you <laughs> the, the actor, just might know a lot of stuff, but it's George Bridgman. I <laughs> think George you Bridgman. Yeah, George yeah. Bridgman. And then you know, just this one book I found, uh, half price books, is very Bridgman, but it's not Bridgman, and so okay. it's a lot more digestible than Bridgman. And so that's something that I really use a lot in high school. I was playing a lot of football in high school, so I didn't have much time to draw as much as I wanted to. And then the senior year, when the season's over, I just hyper-focused on art. And mm-hmm. that was one thing I wanted to do was just draw anatomy. And that wasn't, I wasn't drawing anatomy in a certain style of someone else. You know, I'm learning from multiple ways of drawing anatomy from different uh, anatomy artists. Like Hogarth is very stylistic. You know, a lot yeah. of old artists have learned from him. Um, and so some artists on Instagram, I don't even know his name. He just commented on one of my works. 
And he said, oh, you should try out this artist, like uh, Loomis. You try out Loomis. Yeah. Andrew, uh, Andrew Loomis. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Loomis. It's like uh, Bernd Horgard is very stylistic. Maybe you'll learn more about, you know, closer to what reality is, quote unquote. Um, and so I learned from him, too. Mm-hmm. So I guess my way of finding my voice was actually just working around things, working outside of things. And then yeah. when I found someone I like, I kind of grabbed one of them and then I kind of put it on me. And then now I'm just like, I'm going in, you know, as much as I can. So, yeah. And they're all, listen, they're all like, I mean, they're everything like, you know, Mignola, Otomo, mm-hmm. Hogarth, all this stuff. They're all just, they're bits and pieces. They're parts, you know, they're the, they're the, they're the materials, you know, they're the chords. If you're making music, like mm-hmm. you just go, it's like, yeah, cool. That, that B seventh chord is awesome. The, the one that the Beatles use and it can so many yeah. songs. It's amazing. But if you use it, it doesn't make your song sound like a Beatles song. If you're exactly. using, if you're writing your own song, so you can use it, you can, you can pull that yeah. stuff in. And uh, if, even if you try not to, you know, you will have to in them because you're your own person. Like yeah. You're going to have your own flair in it no matter what. So, right. Yeah. And, and the thing is also that stuff's going to sneak in regardless. Even if you think mm-hmm. I'm not going to, it's going to get in there. Like it's okay. You know, because <laughs> we're, we're filters, you know, like ultimately it, it's, it'll be in there, but it's you, it's your thing and it's cool. Um, so, Okay. And, you know, I wonder, and I, I was thinking when you were, when you were talking about, about this, I was like, I wonder, like, you know, Kevin's dad hands him a tome, you know, Akira, and there's just one name on the cover, you know, but like, had like, he handed you like a comic book, like with five names on the cover. Is that a different response? Like, is that a different response? You know, do you? Yeah, funny enough, it was actually, because uh, not later, uh, later, like, I think it was like the weekend after when he gave me that book. We went to my first comic shop in the Philippines and you know, my, my dad was struggling on money at that time. So he just kind of took me to the equivalent to a dollar bin. Sure. Yeah. Or actually not even a dollar bin, it's like a 25 cent bin. <laughs> so he just said, yeah. So he just like grabbed like five copies. I think it was like five for a hundred pesos. And okay. I just grabbed some random Wildstorm comics, you know? And so I, I think it was like the authority and I got like War Machine and one was steel that one that was that was the one that i really oh. liked but um i forgot the artist but i think oh man that art was amazing but anyways and that's when i figured out oh there's a team behind this you know because mm. i've always been growing up with my dad you know I would, he would take me to the studios where he would work and he was you know he was i would see the people doing the layouts or the animation backgrounds i would see the directors i would see storyboard artists so i've always known this stuff takes things but the comics like i said akira was just only only Otomo, but of course Steve Olaf was there too. But when I was reading those names on the the site, you know, the the, like the credits, there's a lot of publishing names, so yeah. I didn't really care who they were. But sure. The colorists and then the, the Otomo I was like, oh, those two guys who did this. And then, but when I saw the actual floppies, letterer, colorist, penciler, uh, inker, I was like, yeah. what, who are these people? So in my mind, I've always thought just it's just one person. So it made it my goal to her. I'm not going to be like this. I'm going to be like uh, Ultimo, which is going to be sure. me. <laughs> right, some, right. You know, yeah. And, which is, you know, and, I mean, it's a, I think that's kind of a natural reaction for a young person. You know what I mean? Like, you mean, we're, mm-hmm. we're really freaking selfish at, at a young age. Like, it's all about <laughs> us, you know? And it is. So, so it's not, it's not too far off the, you know, the mark where you're just like, well, then that's what I want. I want to be the, you know, the one man band and, mm-hmm. and go out there and do the thing. Um, the thing is, like, I, I didn't even understand what, those jobs entail at that age. Sure. So yeah, but I, you're like, I said letterer. Yeah. 
It doesn't sound like a person who's making a comic book letterer. No. That sounds like yeah. a person who reads. I don't want to do that. I want to no. do. I want to do the guy who makes comic book. Yeah, that's what I want. The thing is, like, I didn't even ink my work at that age either because I didn't even know what inking means. No, right. My, you know, my dad just used you know just graphite pencils for work, and so he barely had pens around. And so for me, it's, oh, it's just me pencil. That's it. It was also two thousand, so a lot of comics were using that pencil kind of um, style. I think Joe Mad was doing that with the Ultimates. So that's right. something that I got to. And so I was like, oh, you can just do it with pencil. So, um, yeah. And I made my own floppies, too. I, I stapled them and drew them on inside. Like, nice. was, in my mind, that's how they're produced instead of right. page by page. And so I did that. Um, and then to me, I never, you know, never saw black and white comics except in newspapers. Hmm. And so I thought they have to be colored all the time. And so right. I colored them. <laughs> yeah. So I colored them all the time. So that was the thing where I just emulated the way they, they produced things rather than what they drew, but more of just the way they produced them. Well, I mean, I think you set a template in your mind, like in your mind, yeah. there's a template and that's yeah. what, that's what it is versus it's all about dynamic figure drawing. Cause like, let's say like Neil Adams was the first person you ever looked at and you'd be like, mm-hmm. okay, well, clearly it's all about really dynamic figure drawing and that's what you would have to like so then maybe your mind was like that's all i have to do um but in this case you're like i guess i have to make a comic book you know (laughs) like you're you're (laughs) stapling paper together um and like i could see like how also i mean what what a what a wonderful you know gift of having you know a, a, a parent who is in the arts who is doing it who is you know, bringing you along, you know, and let you know, you're watching him work at home on the, you know, at, mm-hmm. you know, on things you're, he's, you're going to work with him at times and you're seeing what the world is like. So for you, making a thing is, is not impossible. No, never was. Cause yeah. I've always, um, I've always had the goal in my mind that I want to be an artist that I didn't know what that meant, you know, which mm-hmm. kind of artist I wanted to be. Um, but I've always knew that there's a route, there's a possibility. My dad's doing it. I sure. can do it, you know? And I think too, with that early age of, um, cause you know, a lot of like parents would say now that art is not a real job. <laughs> but my dad was providing us as an artist, as a sure. job. And so as an early age, I saw it as a job. Cause I've seen my dad, you know, with crunch time, you'd be up at 2am working, you know, flipping pages to see that, you know, making sure his animations are right. And I would stay up with him and then I would just see what that, you know, what, what that work entails. And I'll try to bother him sometimes, like just peeking his you know, shoulder, like, no, not right now. I'm, I'm like, I'm really focused. But, but seeing that environment and what it feels like to be focused on something for hours on end for work and making money. And, but not, I didn't think of it as making money, but something that he's just passionate with. Right. It's what he does. It's what he end. does. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. You're, so, you're, yeah, your best friend's dad did something else. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the, the cool thing is like, I see not just my dad, of course, his coworkers, he would take me to the studio where he would see, you know, other animators and people doing other odd jobs in there that there's more than just what he does as other people does anything else too. So, mm-hmm. you know, when I, if I never got that experience, if I just watch cartoons and see the names and the credits, you know, animator, layout artist, I would never know what that meant. But now in that age, when I would read the credits of animation, when I would watch movies with my dad, I knew what each of those people did in that job at yeah. like age eight or something, you know, right. that's something that's crazy that to hear from. And so I took this 
things. So from middle school to high school, I've always got criticisms like, oh, you want to be an artist? Like, good luck being poor or whatever, right? Or mm-hmm. good luck doing that. But in my mind, I'm like, I, I never, that never bothered me to like, ah, they don't know anything. Like, they don't know the the life of that. And, and so I've never stopped me since college. I've never been afraid, you know, like I had, I had my doubts because I, in high school, I focused on, we had academies in high school. So I was in like engineering construction academy because it was the closest thing to art. Cause I like to design and draw. So yeah, yeah, so that was the only thing. So I was like, okay, but, but then they gave me a possibility like, oh, maybe I should just be an engineer and then use art as a thing on the side. But then I was like, no, I've had this dream as a kid. I'm going to commit as much as I can because I love this. And as much as I, you know, I love this, I want to try it. And if I fail, quote unquote fail, I'll just go back and do the engineering thing. It doesn't, Mm -hmm. my life is going to be long as it can be. So. I'd rather commit and just take the chance and I'm taking a chance. And so, yeah, I mean, yeah. you can go back at, at the age of 40 years old and get your degree in mm-hmm. engineering and work for the next th- 20 to 30 years as an engineer. You can do that. It's yeah, fine. exactly. It's fine. Yeah. And then, yeah, now I, I look I didn't back. Mean you. I, I just in, meant like anybody. Oh, can. Sorry. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, because I had classmates in college that were in like real estate and that their twenties and then they come back to school and they're 40. Like there'll be my classmate in class and taking art. Like, oh, I was really, I hated that job. I want to be an artist now. So you can, there's always, you can always say no and just change. You're not always just guaranteed one route. You know, you're a person. You have so many routes you can do, you know, like to me, if I wasn't ever an artist, I always said this to myself, I'd be in astronomy. Like, you know, as much as like engineering was cool, I loved studying the stars. That's my, Mm. that's my hobby. I have a telescope. I like looking at facts about space. That's why I do a lot of space stuff in my comics. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, know, dude, so, I get it. I get it. Know, I mean, yeah. listen, I write science fiction. Like my stuff is yeah. taking place in space. Um, there, We have a university here and they have a an astronomy, I guess, department. There's a whole, they have mm-hmm. a huge telescope set up on the hill. Oh, so that's awesome. Every month or so, they throw the, throw the invite out. You can go up there. And then the, so the astronomy club shows up with their telescopes and then you get to, and so you get to look at, you know, through everybody's mm-hmm. telescopes and, you know, so you get to look at these really big, powerful ones and like sit there and look <laughs> at Saturn and, and see the color of Saturn and see all the, you know, the, the moons mm-hmm. and you're going, okay, like I, this really, this really opens things up in my mind of the world, you know, yes. like it's beautiful. I think too, is like with, cause when I took astronomy in college, it was one of the, I, I found passion in it. I loved it. It's my other than art, it was my favorite class of all time. And I, I, I even uh, tutored it. And my teacher con- told me to consider at least either double majoring or minoring in astronomy. But I was so focused on art. I, I didn't have want to sacrifice more time. But I think one of the things that when you're an artist, you have to have something else that you love. Mm-hmm. Not because you want a safety net or something. It's more just something that helps you make great art. Because creating is just creating but you have to have substance. You have to have something that you add into it that your other passions, you know, like that's why you have landscape painters that love nature. Maybe you love, you know, um, maybe drawing interiors somehow, but you have to right. love something else to create something. And so for me, it's space. And it's also medieval history and ancient history. I love warfare. And so that's something that I include there. So the idea of warfare, and, not the actual act of warfare. He does. He's no, not no, I'm not a warmonger. <laughs> His, uh, his, uh, he's a really, war, really nice and pleasant human being. Right? 
uh, historic warfare. There you go. The t-shirt that says Genghis Khan was number one. On, I'm a little confused that he has wearing that t-shirt, but that's okay. <laughs> no. um, but um, <laughs> yeah, like to me, I, I always look at you know World War Two history, World War One, and like you know um, medieval and ancient history a lot. And in turn, too, I also think about their astronomy at that time as well, because how obsessed they were with the stars. The mm-hmm. Greeks were very obsessed with the stars and the Egyptians. So there's some connections to where uh, my, my love for things also connect in that way. And it's, I kind of bring that with my art. When it comes to world building, that comes in play with history. That's a really big thing. You know, I'm making history of my own world. I know how real history happens. So that should influence me, too. So having other things that you love as an artist will really help you create things better. I think in my own opinion. Oh yeah. Like one of my, one of my, one of my biggest hobbies is having hobbies. Yeah. I have so many different hobbies. (laughs) I have so many different interests because I'm just constantly just charged by learning new things. Like, what is this? How does this happen? Mm -hmm. What does this work on? Like I'm listening to some insanely dense conversation between a neurobiologist and a neurosurgeon and I, but I'm like completely riveted. Like it's a six hour conversation, but I'm totally into it because I'm so charged by what they're discussing and how they're framing things. And it's, it's beautiful, Mm -hmm. but you know, I mean, yeah, I mean, maybe it'll show up in something I do down the road, but I don't care. Yeah. I'm not doing it for that. I'm My, doing it for like interest, yeah. you know? The thing too was, uh, you know, I didn't study art in an art school. That was the thing that I kind of wish I did when I was a kid, you know, when I was mm. in high school. I really wanted to go in art school because that's where artists go. And so I just took the next best thing, which is a state school. <laughs> you know, <laughs> So I went to a San Francisco State University, but, you know, they have an art program, but you also have to take undergraduate classes to where you take Mm -hmm. you know history whatever but the way i saw it is that okay so at least i can learn things that's outside of art that's going to help me make some stuff so i was gathering knowledge in these classes so i took a lot of classics uh, classes so i learned about um archaeology i learned about uh, we read a lot of classics in this classics class where we read the iliad odyssey and the need and Mm -hmm. so you know, learn, I learned about Greek history. And so I took them as not as I have to take these classes to where this is research for my own work. And I'm going to do in the future. Yeah. You know, same thing with astronomy, but of course I have to take a statistics class here and there, but that's just something I have to do. That's one, one things I have to do for class at that point. But But the way I approach college, that'll stick, that'll poke up somewhere. You're going to, you know, you're going to be writing something. You're going, (laughs) you know what? If this character was the statistics freak, you know, like you could have like mm-hmm. it could help it could help inform whatever the storyline goes. And next thing you know, you're you're totally pumped and jazzed about writing about it. So Yeah, definitely. I mean, even the engineering class I took in high school where we made robotics like claws and stuff, mm-hmm. the coding and and knowing something about that helps me um not like actually I make 3D models from some stuff too. So I'm able to Play around with a lot of the technology just knowing how those you know some things about coding some things about modeling from my engineering class help me create art now too as well so i'm just always thinking about gathering knowledge and yeah. just instead of being beating up myself oh, i should have went to art class i actually feel blessed that i had to i got to experience something more than just art school you know mm-hmm. i get to experience other places and so 
I think I've never even seen a planetarium if I never went to school. So I never right. actually discovered my love for astronomy. Now, you know, I know that I love looking at the stars and I like to draw that. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> in the Marvel DC world when you're doing your pages and if there's a an image and there's, you know, space there, all you do is you just write in pencil BWS. So the inker then makes it black with stars. So Yeah. So not very uh accurate to uh actual astronomy, but you know, hey. <laughs> it's what it is. We were talking about like detail and all this work you put mm -hmm. into it, you know, and then I'm hearing you talk about all these interests and I had a conversation with some people the other day after I had seen the latest Wes Anderson movie, um, Asteroids. Oh, yeah, I have to see it. I have to see it. I love, I love Wes Anderson and also aliens. <laughs> well, also, uh, space, but, yeah, space, um, yeah. you know, I, and I'm not trying to prime you in one way or the other, but it is not one of my favorite, one of his movies. And the reason I say that is I wonder, because he's such a stylist, like his, yeah. his films are so stylistically driven. I was wondering if he is trapped as a, as a creator, as a filmmaker by his style. And what I mean by that is if you look at the earlier films, they don't have this sort of chapter one, chapter two, chapter three thing. It doesn't rely as heavily on this sort of structural, visual structural reminder that you're watching a story. And, and then another person remarked on the, he made the, he used the term micro stories. And because he has all this world, this, these worlds full of all these quirky individuals, I feel that he is compelled to tell these micro stories with these secondary and tertiary characters. Mm -hmm. And what that does to me as a viewer of his work, I go, man, like, He's rushing through so much stuff. The dialogue is faster and faster and mm -hmm. quicker and back and forth, back and forth, done. Back and forth, back and forth, done. Like, And I feel like he's not allowing his story to kind of grow and bloom under a timeline because he's he's got to check off all these sort of interesting little micro stories mm -hmm. and, and address all his sort of his, you know, quirkdom as a, as a, as a visualist and a stylist. And I go, so I wonder about that because I, you know, I look at back at like, you know, the, um, oh, what is the, the whatever express, um, the Darjeeling express, like the, it's the, you know, it's the three brothers on a train That's right. going, yeah. going into India to find their mother. Like, Owen Wilson, right. That's the one with Owen yeah. Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's a, and I love that movie. Mm -hmm. because it's it's not that it's not linear because there's there's flashbacks and times to like mm -hmm. why do these brothers have this contentious relationship and you learn about that as the movie goes on but it's a character driven story with these characters and i feel like i'm in the last handful of movies they've been very much you know style driven even though i love the grand budapest hotel i think it's freaking amazing. yeah um, I think that was, I think that was the start of that was the, yeah. oh, I, I, I'm starting to think about it, you know, I'm because it is up, I'm looking have, actually at the movies, yeah. I look up, I'm not ignoring yeah. it. Um, I'm trying to see, I think, well, I think more of the stylized, like the, the, the stylistic thing to where you have the Moonrise you know, Kingdom was very much like that. Right. 
you That's know, right. and that happened before. So I, I just think it was this, it's this creeping growth. Um, yeah. You know, Fresh and, Dispatch definitely had the micro oh stories. That was the one that really did that. I think. Yeah. And now, yeah. yeah. So I, you know, and, and listen, I'm a huge fan. I saw Rushmore, you know, you know, mm-hmm. when it, like the weekend it came out because I had seen, you know, um, bottle rocket, you know, when somebody came into the the school I was teaching and he was like, have you seen this movie? I was like, I don't know. What is this? And then we sat down and we like, we pulled out a VCR and a TV at the school and we sat and watched this movie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, uh, so I love the guy's work and I will continue to see all his movies. That That's never changing, but I just got, I wonder if he, I, I would, I just, you know, I would like him to back off. I'd like him to like get a little yeah. more back into like, tell a story, get, get deeper into these characters. Let us feel something. Um, that's the funny thing about bringing about Wes Anderson that before the new movie came out, there was that trend in Instagram yes. TikTok that did that, you know, Wes Anderson style, whatever. Right. And, that kind of just showed you that, like I said, he is maybe he feels to be forced that way because now everyone expects his movies to look like those reels, those TikTok videos, you know. Right. And so maybe, but I don't know. But, I mean, you would think that, be, I mean, he would be a little, little bit exactly. okay with Resistant. not having to chase no. what somebody yeah. else is doing using AI, you know. Exactly. I know. I, I would think as an artist, he'd be like, oh, maybe it's time to change a bit and just, sure. you know. You know turn this way and just see what you can do. But, you know, right. Like David, like if, if everybody was like, you know, if David Bowie was like sitting in his David Bowie mansion, I'm just envisioning him in his David <laughs> Bowie mansion dresses, like you stardust. But like, if he was sitting, hanging out like that, and then he's like watching television, everybody is dressed as Ziggy stardust and doing, his, mm-hmm. he would be, I'm done. And exactly. I'm sure that's exactly what happened. People were showing up the shows dressed as him. And he's like, okay, time to move. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as artists, you have to grow and change too. You know, you never want to be just be that static guy that's known for one thing. And that's be- that's when you become kind of typecasted in a way that you're just that director, you're just that artist, that comic artist that does a certain way. I think thinking about back to Mignola, comparing his art from the first issues of Hellboy to what it is now, it's very cartoony in the way that mm-hmm. you know people have. Like my taste, of course, I've always enjoyed the earlier work where it's more closer to. Um, you know, like actual, not saying actual figures, but actual, like you can tell that's his shoulder, you know, that's his, right, like kind sure. of a, yeah. So right. that's just my 45 yeah. degree angle. Exactly. From the net, from but that's, that's, yeah. 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 Exactly. But that's my taste. You know, that's my yeah. taste. Um, But what he's doing now is fascinating to how much you've grown and changed. And he didn't sure. just stay at that one Mignola because of course, when you become something that, that great, people will start emulating you. And yeah. so you as an artist have to also grow out of yourself and become something more that you, you know, not saying that you want to hope to be, but also that you never discovered you want to be. And then there you go. Oh, I love drawing like this. And now he can crank out drawings like nothing because he's so comfortable doing those things. So oh, I think about, he still struggles. Yeah. I think he still struggles. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think he's, I think he draws as almost as much as he drew back then, but then he's erasing it. You know what I mean? Like he's getting rid of it. Oh, that's right. Get, that's right. Yeah, I think he's kind of. I, I did hear about that of his pencils yeah. being crazy instead. Yeah, of, you only see his inks mostly. So I think I think he's. I mean, I think he's he's always been a reductionist. I mean, if you go yeah. back to his his work in the late '80s, you can see how he was heading in that reductionist you know direction. 
mm-hmm. it was you know it was great to go along for the ride because you're like oh cool cool because mm-hmm. it bucked the trend you know the trend was art adams you know the trend became yeah. jim lee the trend became todd mcfarlane where it was like mm-hmm. more 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 which is great too but it was this but there's this vigilante out there named mike Mignola who was just like, like- no i'm gonna be less <laughs> and you're like go on with your bad self you know it was it was great so um if you want to check out some cool stuff of his um and if anybody's listening hasn't um he did this uh graphic novel called iron wolf howard chaikin wrote it and it is so it's totally cool it is space it's pirates it's uh a, a warrior cat person like it's got it all man it's it's everything so um that one's great and his adaptation of um fritz lieber's fafford and gray mouser books that he did i believe also with howard jaken um all around the same time they're phenomenal okay, i'm running i'm running these down yeah i think Craig, that, my, oh, go ahead uh, I said, I think P. Craig Russell inked the uh, the Iron Wolf stuff, and Craig Russell is like one of my all time favorites. He's just amazing. That's interesting. I don't think I've seen. Maybe I don't think I've seen Mignola's work inked by someone else. Oh, see, yeah. you have to go pre Hellboy. Like it, it's yeah. Hellboy's, Hellboy's when That's he true. sort of like ran off and said, "I'm only doing my thing." But yeah. That's the thing about Mignola because I didn't. I only saw some stuff that he did for DC before Hellboy, but that's right before Hellboy when he was mm-hmm. doing that Batman stuff, you know? And he, so, um, but my experience with um, Mignola mostly is you know, Hellboy and then Screw on Head. Yeah. And some Batman back in the white. The, he did the Gaslight one, right? Yeah. So he did yeah, the Gaslight for one sure. too. That's after. So they did that. And then. Well, he didn't, course, I don't think he inked Gaslight. Was it after? No, no. Gotham by Gaslight was before, I believe. And it was, it was before. That's right. And he didn't, before. and he didn't ink that either. So, so I, so I did, so I did see his work before. Yeah. Then. Okay. Yeah. Now I'm debating whether like, did his inking change because of the way people inked his work too, you well, know, maybe did he copy the way he did okay. them or did well, he, in my I, mind, I, I'm just, I'm I'm gonna, that's my questions going in, you know? <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to answer for him, but I'm going to give you an answer that I think is his answer. Yeah. Um, I think seeing, uh, artists like Craig Russell and Kevin Nolan ink his work mm-hmm. put him pointed him in the direction where he want where he wanted to go with his, his artwork. That makes sense. I mean, I don't know about Craig Russell's work, but I know Kev, Kevin Nolan's work and that's definitely the way, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's similarities to the way Mignola inks his work and Kevin Nolan's work. Yeah. Yeah, so. no, that's great. Well, check, I mean, I'm excited it, to check these books out. I yeah, you love them. You love them. And <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they are, some all-time favorites of mine as well. So um, it's good. It's good stuff. So I was looking at like, you have, you have some how-to stuff, like uh, how, how to, like how you do it um, in your book, which is great. I think that's fantastic. You're sharing your process. Uh, Yeah. How do you like, so like a lot of times I find that, you know, the writer, the artist becoming a writer writes by drawing. So they kind of draw the panels to figure out how they're going to tell the story. And, you know, the rare, the rare frequency is someone's like, no, I just wrote the thing out, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. you're in, you know, you're an interesting brain. Um, so <laughs> how, like, are, are you part of that camp of the like sitting in, you know, and drawing, like sort of sketching out like how you think the panels will go to be able to break the story into language? Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm always that, but I do write first. I always write first. I've 
for like the an first outline? book, yeah, I do an outline for the whole book. But um, interestingly enough, the first one, the very first book, um, the one I, the colored one, I did a different process with that. I did kind of a rough outline, but I didn't script the book. Actually, it was kind of a thumbnail script hybrid mm-hmm. to where I drew the thumbnails and I, instead of just des- describing what the panels will be, I just drew it and then okay. I drew the dialogue on the side. And so that, that I was just experimenting what I wanted to do because mm-hmm. I, I wasn't sure if I liked scripting or not because I found out that I didn't like lettering digitally. So okay, let's play around with the other process too. Let's see how we do this. And I, I did the first book that way, but in the end, I didn't really enjoy that process. So now I'm going back to scripting thumbnailing and then to penciling my comics but i am very when i go from scripting to thumbnails a lot changes because mm-hmm, i always sure. like i said panel by panel i go into detail about each panel but also talking about designing the page i have to make sure that panel works out with the whole page as a design you know so i'm shadow casting going to the right way i want it to you know work out with the whatever the, the big panel is in the middle mm-hmm. that kind of you know looks pleasant that way instead of just random images together so that yeah. you know and that's you know and i you know i, w- I want to remind you of what you said earlier so you can be happy with yourself you know that there's there's writer you know there's writer kevin who does all this ambitious writing and then there's mm-hmm. you know there's artist kevin who goes oh you know but like that's how it happens you know like yeah you know when i was drawing these things you know for my livelihood i received a script you know i wasn't i wasn't asked what I wanted to draw on each page. I didn't say, Hey, it'd be cool if we framed this, this page with this many panels, like the writer Mm -hmm. wrote what they wrote. And then it was my job to interpret that script and figure out how many panels that really worked out best for did seven panels work or was six better. And then you figure out what that composition for the pages for the panels are, and then you make Mm -hmm. the artwork. And, um, so it's okay if you change your own stuff. But working by yourself too, as well, that's one of the perks because you can do whatever you want in the end of it at all. You know? So if I wrote something and I don't like it as the artist, I think it will work better. There's no fight between, you know, no. two people, you know? So, but I mean, there is like a conflict within me. It's like, maybe this, you know, whatever uh, I wrote was better, <laughs> but then in the end, there's no, you know, it's not a stressful thing. Oh, and I, yeah, because sometimes when I'm writing, I forget that's a visual medium. Sometimes I just mm-hmm. I just get in a zone. I just keep writing and writing. Yeah, but and that's I'm good. Drawing, yeah, it is because now you get the thing. That's what the, the thing was when I was doing the thumbnail and and the scripting process together is that I forget the writing has to be separate. Right. You know, so it's, it made me feel like okay, for me, my own process. You know, because some people do that process and it works out great for them. But to me, writing gets me just get over the writing part and then I do the art and then they kind of just blend in together at the thumbnails. Mm-hmm. You know? And so, and also funny too, when they go, when they go to thumbnails to pencils, things change as well. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't just stick with the th- thumbnails, you know? No. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're, evol- you have to evolve it. Like, I mean, it, it, yeah. it would be, it would be scary if what you wrote, on the script is exactly what ends up on the page. I think it would just, yeah. you know, because you know, they're two different, they're two different things, but okay. So one, I have this wonderful vision of you being upset with yourself. Like, so you writer, Kevin is angry at artist Kevin for making the changes. So you writer, Kevin, call up the guy who's publishing your comic book and bitch about yourself. That's, <laughs> that's, I have this fantasy happening right now. Um, but there is, another avenue for 
story evolution for you that I don't think that you're in that zone yet, which might happen where you have an editor and that editor is working with you when you are doing the writing phases. So you are saying, Hey, here's a story idea. Oh, I like this. I like that. I don't understand. Like, why did we drop this from the previous issue? Like they'll be able to kind of pull that stuff and you go, Oh, wait a minute. Or, Hey, here's my reason why. And then you would Mm -hmm. then send them your script and they will go, Oh, cool. Oh, cool. Cool. Hey, what is this? I don't know. You know, and then you are able to kind of bang that out. So then when the time comes for you to actually draw it, it it becomes a very different kind of, you know, expression for you. I don't know. It is. Yeah. I did try it. I I have some friends that looked over. I I always like have some people look over my writing a lot more than my art. Uh, was mostly just writing because I, I wouldn't say I'm not, I'm confident, but I'm not as confident as I should. Sure. Sure. I think for the second issue that I'm working on right now, I'm a lot more confident with writing because I've, you know, I did some studies about it, but back then it was really hard. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things I've always aspired to have was an editor. But I don't know. I think talking, going back to being selfish, you know, going back to that, we have full control when I'm doing it all by myself Uh is that, you know, just, I can use an editor for, you know, some small things in here and there, but I'm very picky with yeah. that you know with like i want to make sure i let the right person in to where they can tell me not not tell me the things i don't like but tell me to guide me to like yes try this maybe this way see if you like that but not to where you should just do this you know mm-hmm. just do this That's well what it's I'm like avoiding. it's a good music man like the best the best yeah. music is has a producer and the producer isn't telling them what to do the producer mm-hmm. is getting them to create the best thing that they can produce Exactly. Like that's, that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Because you know? I've, you know, I've, I've talked to some people that work almost trying to take control of what I have <laughs> and that's not what I want. No, that's right. not I'm, I'm trying to invite. So, I'm, so I've been more protective with that, but you know, so far I've just had my, you know, my girlfriend or my friends that artist friends that, you know, of course read comics too. So they have certain eyes, but not the editor eyes, but reader right. eyes. And, and the, so you they know, can at least see that. That'll come, it'll come in, you know, maybe the opportune time might be mm-hmm. when you open the door up to the possibility of having some other people draw some of the stories that you write. So yeah. maybe that's when you say, Hey, let me, let me talk to an editor and have them be a part of this so they can be help sort of coordinate this sort of next sort of expansion of your creative process, which mm-hmm. is kind of letting something out of your own control, you know, and then you can kind of like get your practice time in with an editor on a smaller thing. Um, mm-hmm. That's a, that's not right in the core of everything. And then you can work your way towards wherever you want to go. Yeah. I think that would be, the, I think that would be the, actually the way to do it for me because like I talked about how my writing and drawing are so kind of fluid. Mm-hmm. It's talking about the thumbnail section because when I write, it's not really the final draft in a way that, you know, you don't, I don't rewrite it right away. I, re- I rewrite it like three times and then I go to thumbnails Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like the final draft of the script. Right. You know, that's not the script. The, the final draft of the script is not just words, it's visual. Because some things are just be cut away. Because if I just sent the script to someone, they'd be like, why are you saying this here? But I'm like, oh, because that's what I thought. But then when I actually go to thumbnails, I'll remove that automatically mm-hmm. and just make it to a visual thing. So there's still a next filter. Filter. So I think if I were to work with an editor in the way I am working now with my own books, it would be sending them thumbnails. Yeah, with words on it. You know, that would be the way I do it instead of just sending the scripts. Right, and then so, but if you have yeah. to work, if, if somebody else has to draw it, then you have to send a script. So exactly, you, so that's why so, it's different. 
And then yeah. having, but having that editor there would probably be really beneficial for you because they're going to be like, why did you write that? And you'd be like, oh yeah, I would normally know what to do with this, mm-hmm. but the other person won't. So let me, okay, then, let me, let exactly. me, let me add that note there. Yeah. And that's, mm-hmm. I so think the translation would, changes. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is translation. You're translating from your mm-hmm. mind to somebody else. And that's, that's, that's the challenge of, you know, of writing um, a script. Uh, that's cool. Well, I mean, I hope you do get a chance to do that. Cause I think that'd be a lot of fun, uh, to see, it would be. to see what you can, like what you can do. And I feel that like doing it within your world is a great opportunity like, Hey, this, this character or side story of these characters would be really help, really good for you. Um, mm-hmm. flesh your world out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that'd be, I think that'd be rad. Um, so you're working on a project you can't talk about. I love those. Um, when, when do you, when does that thing see the world? Like when would you think that's going to show up in this place? Most likely end of the a year, but okay. I'm still working on the second issue of space nights. That one's, okay. that one's the same time. Much sooner. Yeah. Okay, same good. time. So, yeah. So that one's much sooner. I'm already actually did the previews for heroes. I've made like a little preview comics mm-hmm. of the, the issue two and it's black and white, but you know, I, that one I'm really excited about because I've learned a lot since the past two books I made, which is like Tales of Space Knights, which is that oversized nine by 12 thing I did. But, you know, I've always thought about growth in my books. My books are like milestones to me. Mm-hmm. Where that's where I am as an artist. Cause you're only good as your last book, right? You're only good sure. as your last work, and whatever you post, whatever you end is, whatever your book is. So that's me. Um, that's what I'm very really excited about. I think that's going to be around September, October. Cool. Um, but it's all about balancing my commission work with <laughs> with my book. So that's going to be the greatest challenge. But I do this full time. So I, I'll definitely crank it out. If only if only that commission money could somehow get squeezed into the artwork for the comic book money. That would yeah. be that would be the magic world that we that a lot of people could live in because, boy, it's it's very tough to make, you know, to make a living, you know, in comics, you know, with the with the money that's out there. You know, fortunately, the the commission world does afford a lot of supplemental, you know, finance, which is good. It does. Yeah. I mean, I love doing commissions. The only thing I hate about commissions is that it does take me away from the book. Right. But the act of doing commissions has never been, you know, mm-hmm. never boring. Never, I never hated it. Um, but I just sometimes wish, I'm like, man, I'd rather just work on my comic today. Sure. <laughs> that's the only thing you know so totally no no i i I get it i mean i listen i I have client work you know for for companies and i do that but all Mm -hmm. i want to do is i want to write but you know until that pays more than the other stuff i have to do it and that's just the the name of the game and it's just nobody wants that everyone wants the you know the fun big happy stuff but we have to you know (laughs) we just got to grind through the things that we don't want to do and do our best with that stuff. So, um, cool. So, so two things will be coming out from you this year, most likely. Yeah, most likely. Um, the other one that I can't talk about is a lot shorter. Okay. When I did Space Nights, but Space Nights is like about 120 pages. Yeah, they're big books. Yeah, exactly. They're big books. Yeah. Um, but I think I'll, I mean, I, I probably will have some things that I won't expect that'll be coming out. Um, but expect a lot of commission work. <laughs> That's going to be, I'm going to be posting a lot of my, my stories. And I think I'm going to do a collection of that too as a book because I think they're going to be a treat to do. 
Oh, that's cool. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. been the kind of a common thing that people are starting to, you know, yeah. collect the, collect their drawings and put them out there. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, listen, you know, you know, this is me old, old guy talking, but like, you know, mm-hmm. there, it, it's so amazing that you can do this. Like I couldn't do this 30 years ago when I was, when I was doing, you know, <laughs> this, there was, there wasn't an Instagram, there wasn't a commission world like this. There wasn't the opportunity to produce your own books mm-hmm. as easily. The work is the work, you know, drawing the pages 30 years ago is the same as drawing the pages today. The work is the same, but the ability to go and go online, find a website, upload your, your, your PDF, and you have mm-hmm. a comic book like that did not exist. So yeah, the, exactly. it's, it's a miracle of technology. And I think it's amazing because there's so much great stuff and stuff that will become great being done Mm -hmm. all the time now. And I, you know, for me, it's exciting to see this stuff. You know, I, how, how would I've known you unless I bumped into you at heroes and I'm like, maybe I'd seen some of your, I may have seen some of your stuff online. I may have, I don't, I don't want to misquote myself, but like, Mm-hmm. You know, I walked by you all weekend and I was like, that's kind of cool stuff. So then I stopped and talked to you and, you know, I'm like, mm-hmm. all right, like you, you weren't like, I don't know, I make a comic. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to have like, uh, uh, that's, that <laughs> means I can have to have to talk with this guy. So we, yeah. can, we can chat. It was, yeah, it was nice. And, you know, as an artist too, you know, a lot of people are very homebodied. <laughs> you, know, you never see much mm. people. So my, for me, when I do shows, is my opportunity to talk to people that talk to me online that sh- I showed off my work online. Yeah. Back then, like they said 30 years ago, that'd be the only way people get to see your work. Ever. Not, yeah, ever. Right. So, so you could be making a comic 30 years ago and no one's going to ever hear about it. Right. And now I'm making a comic where it's not even out. I can post my process on it and people are like, oh, I can't wait to see that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. that's something that's amazing that you can do too. And so when I do shows and conventions, it's all about meeting people that I've already known that or my readers or meeting new people like you, you know, like, right. Oh, you've never seen my work online, but you get to see me in person. And it's always yeah. been a treat too, you know? No, it's, it's a huge, I mean, cause it's, it's like, it's like going in the comic shop and seeing something going, Oh, that looks really cool. And, you know, picking mm-hmm. the comic off rack, but this, in, in this case, I get to grab the art, the creator and I get to talk to the yeah. creator, you know, <laughs> and look exactly. at the comic book, you know, it's, um, it's a, it's a sort of a win-win, but it's, it's, it's a very cool thing. And like you were, when you were saying that, I'm thinking ostensibly you could have more people who are fans of your artwork who have never read your comic book. Like mm-hmm. they could be like your, you know, you people who love you on Instagram, you know, but they've never seen your comic book in the store. And then they show up yeah. to the convention because they know you and they're like, oh, you're here and there's your comic book. So now they've like, it's this double fulfillment. It is. And so- the, the cool thing has been happening with Instagram is that um, you know, I've been getting followers everywhere throughout the country and, and some guy in, in heroes didn't even know I was there, but he said he follows me on Instagram. He just hasn't seen my work on the feed and he was just excited and he was happy. And he's like, let me, let me get this book. I was thinking about getting this book, but I just want to buy it online. He want, now you got to treat that to get it in person oh. better too. And the cool thing too, with that as well as, you know, we send books to shops as well. My publisher does. Mm-hmm. And so some guys like, I just saw your book in my shop. That's amazing. Like, Oh, cool. Be, you know, so that's, that's still like kind of the physical presence of like, you see something online, but then you see in person somehow it connected. And just, yeah. So. There's, there's, no, there's no comparison to that, no. <clears throat> that real world connection 
mm-hmm. to the to the online connection. And it's it's you know, like listen, I, I enjoy all my interactions with all the people I you know online, but when somebody sees a thing or knows a thing that you've done and they're like, Oh, I've got that thing. Or I looked at it or I saw it. Like it is, it, it's great. Like, I, I mean, I remember people bringing comic books up to, you know, to sign. I was like, wow, you like, you, you took the time to buy this thing and then bring it here. Like it's mm-hmm. not. So exactly. Uh, yeah. But, it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It is interesting. Man, I think too, it's like where I was surprised as well when, when people, you know, like I said, artists as homebodies, when people come up to you and just say, I know your work, I love your book, whatever. And you start thinking about, wow, I actually made change to someone's life or not, maybe not too much change, but this guy experienced something I made by myself. Yeah. And didn't even, I had no idea who this guy is before, but somehow I did have an impact in his life. And that's something that's always made it feel worth it to me in the end of it all. Cause there's days where I don't want to draw. I feel horrible. I, I, you know, I, I'm just, yeah. And just when you see that in person, it gives you that energy again that I'm actually doing something, you know, there's, there, there's a worth to, to all of this. Yeah. That's, you know, uh, that encapsulated perfectly. I mean, that's exactly what mm-hmm. it's all about. Kevin, man, this is great talking with you. It was a, I'm, I'm so like- glad that we bumped into each other at the show and, yeah. uh, and now I have a friend out in the Bay Area, so that's good. Another one, yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm really, I'm really psyched to, I'm psyched to uh, see the the next book come out. Um, it's you, you bite a lot off on these things, so uh, congratulations! <laughs> yeah, thank you, thank you. It's thank no you, small, Alex. no small feed. Yeah, um, yeah, man. And keep pushing yourself because I mean, it's like I, I mean, I Always. the difference between one and two is noticeable. So it's just going to keep yeah. cranking. So always the thing act before i go it's actually a thing that i think a lot of artists should do is that when they finish a book and they expire to do the next book when they're ready mostly for young creators is that look at the first thing you did find out what you did that you hated Mm -hmm. you want to fix make that your focus on your next book so to me was yeah to me was lettering from the first book to the the black and white book that was Mm -hmm. my biggest thing so i first the next, next book i just fixed my lettering a lot and writing too, but writing process change. So, you know, thinking about growth and thinking yeah. about change, I think that's one way for you to keep striving forward. So, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's the only way to become, or at least to get closer to that thing that we have in our head, which is this relatively unobtainable place. Yeah. <laughs> the perfect, uh-huh. the perfect version of ourselves. Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the only way that happens is by, by really pushing and, you know, struggling. Cool. I, thanks, man. Um, I appreciate all your your point of view on this stuff. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Yeah. It's fun. All right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to go see the new Mission Impossible. Oh, I'm going to see the Wes Anderson movie. So that's going to be me. There you go. Go see the Wes Anderson movie. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah. All right, Kevin. Take care, man. <laughs> Thank you, Alex.